right. We are uh, going to be continuing a series that we started last week on service. Last week was our kickoff Sunday, uh, which was real exciting. It kicked, we kicked off. And uh, so <laughs> we're, we're digging into all of our ministries. Sunday school starts today, as you we were told. I encourage you to stick around for that, even if you don't normally do. This is the first day, so it's a perfect time. We have two adult classes, one on the New Testament in here, one on the Old Testament back there. So stick around for that. It's a time to just uh, dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures. Uh, I hope that you are reading along with us. We started Readers United on Thursday. Uh, Wednesday night was our first meeting, but our reading actually started on Thursday. And so I hope you're reading along with us. If not, and you want to jump in, on this coming Thursday, we start Matthew. So that might be a good place if you want to just get right in there. So uh, don't feel like you're too far behind. So we're going to be digging into the scriptures in a second. If you need a Bible, I've got a couple people coming down the aisles with a Bible. Just raise your hand and they'll make sure um, that you get one. So we're going to uh, be talking about service this morning. And uh, we, we uh, I like this. This is my favorite part. They just kind of won't. Uh, we're going to be talking about service this morning. Last week, we kind of laid the foundation, the groundwork of why we serve. We looked at a passage uh, from one of Peter's letters where he basically presents the fact that uh, the gifts, the skills, the things that God have, has given you that you're passionate about, that you're talented at, uh, these are not really yours at all, but you're simply a steward of these things given to you by God. And it's your responsibility to use them in a way uh, that, that is respons- responsible, responding to that. Uh, so we talked about just the, the premise of why we serve. Now over the next few weeks we're going to talk about uh, where that service takes place. So in a few weeks we'll talk about serving in the world. And we got an exciting project that we're going to present to you um, where we can actually have a physical, tangible impact in the world as we serve. Next week Pastor Mitch is going to talk to us about serving in the community outside the walls of the church. But today I want to kind of go back to where we started uh, and talk about why do we serve here in this church? Why is it important to serve within these walls? Why can't we just serve in the community? Why can't we just serve around the world? Why is it important to serve within these walls? And so, naturally, when we talk about service in the church, we want to start um, with Alexander the Great, of course. Um, So this is Alexander the Great. Uh, If you're a student of history, you are probably aware of this guy. Alexander the Great uh, was one of the greatest military rulers in the history of the world. Uh, in about 350 years or so before the New Testament, 300 years or so before the New Testament, Alexander uh, took over his father's mission. His father's name was Philip, and he had this goal of making a huge, vast empire, leaving Greece and creating an entire Greek world. And so Alexander picked up right where Philip left off, and he began this process of conquering the world. Uh, His empire stretched all the way from modern-day Greece, all the way to modern-day India, uh, down into Africa. Just this huge, huge empire. One of the things that Alexander did as he began to move throughout the world and conquer the land, uh, he had this very deep uh, passion about the culture of his homeland in Greece. He felt, uh, for a couple reasons, that his culture was the best culture that had ever been lived in the history of the world. And so naturally, uh, it would be a blessing to any of these people that he's conquering for them to be given the gift of 
Greek culture. And so Alexander began this process uh, that's known as Hellenism. It comes from the Greek word for Greece, uh, Hellas. And so Hellenism uh, was this process that Alexander uh, embarked on in which he not only conquered physically conquered um, peoples and, and empires and cultures, but then he began to implement parts of his culture onto these other ones. And so um, the Greek language became a universal language all throughout the world. Um, the dress and the uh, love for the arts that the Greeks had uh, transferred all around the world. There's a bunch of things. But uh, there are a couple in particular uh, that, that are worth noting as we talk about here. Uh, one of them was the gymnasium. Uh, the gymnasium comes from uh, the Greek world, which means naked. So I'll let you kind of put two and two together there. Um, but the gymnasium uh, was a place where men would come and they would, uh, as you might imagine, compete in athletics together. And not really like the gyms that we have to do, you know, you, you lift weights and that. More like a YMCA type situation. But men would come uh, to the gym in the middle of whatever city it is. This is in Pompeii. Uh, they would come to the gym, and they would spend time competing in athletics with one another and, and doing uh, sort of aerobic-type things. Um, but as the gym began to develop, it became not only a place where athletics happened, but it became a cultural hub. This is where the young men would gather together to talk about what's going on in their lives and to, to really get into the athletics that they were doing. And so it became this gathering place uh, where men from out, throughout the city would come and they would get together at the gym and they would hang out and they would talk. And this would be kind of the place where they would get together on a regular basis to spend time with one another and, and to, to really have a community there in the gymnasium. So the gymnasium, cultural gathering point in, in the city. Um, the other major thing that Alexander brought with Hellenism uh, was the f- uh, philosophy and the philosophical teachings that went along with that culture. Uh, again, this is a mosaic from Pompeii. We're sticking with Pompeii today. Uh, and I believe that's Plato and uh, some people gathering around uh, to listen in and the, the teachings of, of Plato. And so... Uh, in the Greek culture, there would be these groups of philosophers that would come together on a regular basis to talk about philosophy and to talk about life and to talk about the meaning of life and to talk about uh, all of these things that had to do with philosophy. Now, these broke off into separate groups, and, and there, throughout a, a Greek city or even a Roman city, there would be these different philosophical groups and gatherings where they would come together on a regular basis to talk about things and to have this sense of community. Uh, There's this great scene in the book of Acts where Paul is in Athens, which was like the main hub of the Greek world. Uh, By the time of Paul, it was kind of a has-been city, but it still had deep roots in Greek culture. He gets there and he starts speaking about Jesus and the resurrection and all of these things. And the philosophers from that town invite Paul to join them in a place probably not unlike this where the philosophers had gathered together to talk about philosophy and culture and life and the meaning of life and all of these things. So, gymnasium, cultural place where where guys would come and they would have a sense of community there. The philosophy groups would be a place where people would gather together and have uh, a sense of discussion and talking about purpose and those types of things. The Roman world in which the New Testament takes place, was built really on the, sh- on the skeleton of the Greek world, and so much of these things carried over. So the point of talking about this, the gymnasiums and the philosoph- philosophical groups and all these other things, 
uh, is to, to make the point that when the early churches began to form, when Christianity began to be a part of uh, Greco-Roman culture, uh, for somebody on the outside, kind of looking in at these people who would gather together once a week or a couple times a week to talk about purpose and talk about life and talk about relationships and talk about these things, from somebody on the outside, the Christian church probably didn't look a whole lot different than some of these philosophy groups or even what was happening uh, at the gymnasium during the Greek times. It was not a new thing for people to get together to have this place, this sense of community where they would gather as a people, they would discuss things, and then they would kind of live their life based on what was, what was happening there in that community. And so the question uh, that I think we need to ask ourselves is if, uh, for several reasons, the early churches looked a lot like all of these other social groups, what was it that made the church different? What were the defining features that made a church different than any of the other social groups that were a part of the, the Greco-Roman culture at that time? And so we would think, okay, well, let's look into the scriptures. Let's look into the New Testament writings and the letters and the teachings of the New Testament and see what does that present as, okay, here are the defining things that make a church a church. The problem is <laughs> the New Testament scriptures have relatively little to say uh, about what defines something as a church or not a church. It has a lot to say about the lives of Christians, and it has a lot to say about how to live as someone who is committed to the principles of the church or committed uh, to the faith of the church. But it doesn't have a ton to say about, okay, what makes a church unique? What makes a church different? But there are some things. And so because there's not a lot... The things that we are told, the little information that we are given, we should pay attention to that. And we should use that as a main focus. And so we're going to look at just two passages today, um, briefly into each one. And they each present a couple of these, maybe we could call them guidelines or principles that make a church a church. And the reason we're going to look at that is because I think we can take that into our culture today where we have the same sort of thing, culture and, and social groups all around. But what's different about this place? What's different about a church? What's different about what we do here um, than your local knitting club or, you know, the soccer team that you play on? What's different about church? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, and we'll be brief in both of these passages. The first one is Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 822, if you're following along in one of our house Bibles. Um, Colossians 3, this is a letter that Paul writes to some of the early Christians living in the city of uh, Colossae. Okay, so let's go to verse 15. He says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Okay, so Paul's writing to a local church, a group of people not unlike this, probably a lot smaller, probably meeting in a house. But this is a group of people who say, this is my church, this is my local community. And he says, uh, let us be ruled by peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, you as a local church, as a local body, as a community. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God 
with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here we have two defining elements of what makes a church a church. What's different about this church than the group of philosophers who meet on Saturday morning to talk about philosophy? First thing we see uh, is one of the things that makes a church a church is that they are committed to teach and to admonish from the scriptures. Uh, The word admonish is not a word that we use a whole lot, um, but kind of has this idea of maybe counsel or encouraging somebody. If somebody's in a, a place where they need to be directed or guided or need some advice, uh, to admonish somebody is to step in and help to shape and to guide them. What Paul is, is very clear about here is that one of the central elements of what makes a church a church is a commitment not only to like having the scriptures and viewing them as a holy book, but to be committed to both teaching out of them and to guiding and directing one another through our lives based on the scriptures. If you've been around here at Celebration for any amount of time, you know that this is something that we take very seriously, right? Our middle name is Bible, and that is a defining factor of everything that we do here at Celebration Bible Church, from our music and our teaching to what we do on Wednesday nights to what we do with our kids. And this is a commitment that we take seriously. And this is one of the things that Paul, that the New Testament writers say, here is what defines a church. Here's what makes a church different than that group of people that just hang out. One, a commitment to teach and to admonish from the scriptures. But the second one in there, you see, uh, Paul says uh, to worship, to sing, to sing hymns, psalms, spiritual psalms. Now, I want to make a distinction here because we may be tempted to read that and, and kind of just see, oh, that's worship. And when I teach, <laughs> I, I view what I'm doing here, in a sense, as worship. It's my goal to teach about God and for God to get glory through what we're doing here, for me to learn about God, for God to impact and to change my life into your life through what we're doing here. And so at a very basic level, really anything you do with those goals of giving God praise can be considered worship. But I think Paul is specifically talking Uh, about some sort of artistic expression of worship. And I think that that's really important. Worship arts, maybe we can can call it. Now, I'm not saying that every single time a church meeting is taking place, like next time, you know, we have a potluck or something, we're going to stop and break out into song or something along those lines. But I do think that the act of artistic expression is really important for, as far as what defines a church. And this goes all the way back, I believe, to creation. Uh, The creation account itself, many scholars believe, is a poem, an artistic expression. Uh, And in that poem, we see God creating, bringing things into order. Uh, He takes this matter and he forms it into the earth and all of the things that we see, touch, feel. Then he puts humans on and in that creation, as central to that creation. But then... What God does is he says to man, I want you to continue this process of creating. And so God makes something beautiful out of something that was really formless and void and chaotic. He brings it into order in this process of creation. Central to the word creation is the word create or creative, right? So he brings something into creation to creativeness. And then he says to man, okay, now you keep doing that. The first job that humans have is to create. 
Uh, in a very artistic way, this is presented as central to what humans are, to create just like God creates. And so, when we talk about what we do here at a church, it's good that we uh, read Scripture and it's good that we teach, but I think that it's also central and also uh, a non-debatable issue that we do this, that we sing. Now, there's no definition of what that looks like or how many instruments there should be and what key signature should the songs be in. That actually might be later in one of the books. I'm just kidding. Uh, But... The act of creatively worshiping, worshiping through the arts, I think is a defining factor. And I think it's important that this is here in this text. I think it's not just about saying things and worshiping through that, but it's the creative act of worship. Okay, so we got two things, right? Uh, Two elements of this is what defines a church. This is what makes a church different than these group of philosophers who meet every day. We're halfway done already. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, to be fair, um, this is not exhaustive. There are probably a few more things that you could find um, and do it. And if you find some, bring them to me. I'd love to talk to you, talk with those things. Um, But just for the sake of what we're doing, we're just going to dig into four of them. Okay, book of Hebrews. Interesting book. Um, There are some scholars who believe that the book of Hebrews is actually uh, a series of sermons, written or spoken to some of the early Christians, some of the early Christians at a local church. And so, uh, in a very real way, the book of Hebrews, uh, the letters or the sermons of Hebrews, are to be delivered to a local community, a local church, just like us. And in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 10, this is probably one of the more famous passages about the local church. You may be familiar with um, with this. And so he, he starts, the, the author starts in verse 19 and talks about um, some of the things that really make the theology of the Christian faith work, um, the, the sacrifice of Jesus and the new life that is open for us as we walk through that sacrifice that he made. And in verse 22, the author says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled and cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess uh, for he who promised is faithful. Remember, some of these early Christians are dealing with a a series of cultural or a series of cultural persecution in which they're being pushed to the fringes of their society because they're not playing by the rules that have been set. And so, uh, when the author of Hebrews calls them to persevere, uh, he's calling them to continue to move forward with your faith, even though you may be being pushed outside of where you'd like to be. Then in verse 24, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So our first two here, we have teaching and admonishing. We have worship hearts. We're going to take these backwards. We're going to start with the idea of to encourage one another. Remember, we're not given a whole lot on what defines a church, what makes a church different than this, but one of the things that we are told is that we are to be a local community that is committed to encouraging one another. Now, what's interesting is this command or this call to encourage comes right on the heels 
of the author of Hebrews saying, and continue to meet together, continue to come. It's important that you're here in this place. Because I think uh, what's really being said here is that when Christians come together, when Christians say, getting together on a Sunday morning, that's an important thing to me and that's an important thing to my family. That's a priority for me. We are going to make this happen. This morning, I woke up at like 5.30, and I, and this is me talking, like about myself, I wanted nothing more (laughs) than to go back to bed. (laughs) My neck hurt, I was tired, I just wanted to sleep, but I didn't want to have to make Mitch, you know, figure out a sermon on the fly. No, (laughs) I'm committed to being at this place, more than the fact that it's, that it's my job and I'm the pastor, I'm committed to to being present at a local church because there's something about all of us coming together and saying, this is important. This is important. Being a part of this local body, this is important. Not just because I want to check my time card in. Okay, I went to church for the day. Now I can, you know, make up for all the bad things I did that week or, you know, prepare the slate for all the bad things I'm going to do this week. But I'm here at church because it's important. It's important to come here Uh, to hear from the scriptures. It's important to come here to learn, but it's also important to come so that those of us who also say this is a priority look around and we see, hey, I'm not the only one. (laughs) I'm sure some of you had really, really tough weeks this week. I know some of you had really tough weeks this week. I've talked to you. There are times when perhaps we feel that this life that we've stepped into the life of Jesus, the life of often saying no to things that everyone else is saying yes to, in the life of putting ourselves below others, in our life of choosing something else, sometimes that can be a really tough and lonely place. And we can feel like, okay, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I should just, you know, forget this whole thing and just go be like everybody else. When we come here together and we look around and we say, look at We are all choosing this life together. We have been chosen and we have been called, but we are all choosing to actively follow Jesus together. There's a sense of solidarity. There's a sense of encouragement. There's a sense of looking around and feeling like, yes, these are my brothers and my sisters. There's something really powerful about that. So the author of Hebrews says, encourage one another. And part of that encouragement means coming making this a commitment, being a part of a local church, despite all of our flaws and despite all of our shortcomings and despite all the things that we wish were like that church down the road, we commit to this place. And that commitment in itself is an encouragement. So we got three things, teach, admonish, worship through artistic expression to encourage one another. Uh, And then the fourth thing here, and this is really what we want to end on. Paul says, or... (laughs) The author of Hebrews says, uh, (laughs) it's anonymous, to spur one another on towards good works. So we're only given a few things of what defines what is a church and what is not a church. But one of the things that we are given, one of the things that makes a church different from the philosophers that meet down the road, is central to what we do, central to what the local church does, is that they spur one another on towards good works. Now that word spur, depending on what your translation is, might be something a little bit different, but it actually comes from the Greek word, and this is great, provoke. (laughs) 
I don't know about you, but I don't often associate provoking with anything that's good, right? <laughs> provoking is the thing that makes you want to punch somebody. Uh, but here, the author of Hebrews, the, the, the pastor preaching the sermons in Hebrews, tells the local church to be committed to provoking each other to do good works. Now this word, this phrase, good works, again, super broad, and this could cover a whole bunch of things. But in the context of what's going on here, perhaps a pastor preaching to a church about what it means to be a church and what is important to a church, I think we can easily uh, kind of read this as to provoke to service or to provoke towards service, service in the church. How do you provoke somebody (laughs) to serve? Well, what's built into here uh, is this sort of reciprocal nature. One of those things where uh, the call is that you serve others So that as we are being served, which is a huge part of it, it's not just about serving, but it's also about being willing to be served, right? Sometimes we just need to be served. The idea here is that as someone serves you, you begin to say, okay, this is is important. I know what I feel like when somebody is serving me. I know that feeling of seeing that person and saying they've committed to this, now I want to commit to this too. Or seeing somebody step out of their lives and into yours, and you're like, wow, that's just what I needed. I want to do that too. And so there's this idea of mutual service, serving and being served. Provoking one another to the point where you just got to serve, right? You get provoked to the point where you just can't help but punch your brother, When you provoke to service, you get to the point where I just got to do it. And so we're not given a ton of information about what defines a local church, what is or is not a local church, what makes this any different uh, from the seniors group down the hall or from your your soccer team or from uh, your buddies that get together once a week to talk about, you know, whatever. What makes this different? But we have four things here, and we're given four things. We should probably pay attention to them. Teaching and admonishing from the scriptures, engaging in the worship arts, encouraging one another. Sometimes that means just showing up. And then being committed to serving within this place. Now, a couple final thoughts on that. That last idea of provoking one another to service. One of the things I want to make clear Last week, uh, we had a really great time at our ministry fair afterwards where we could come and you could sign up to actually commit to being, you know, working with the kids or being here in the music team or any number of services. And that is this. (laughs) That is this. When you serve, you're provoking others to serve and you're committed to engaging with the local church. But that's not the extent of service. Sometimes service... (laughs) means doing that thing that you don't tell anybody about. It means that phone call that you make to somebody. It means uh, the shoulder to cry on to somebody. It means slipping somebody a check when you know that they're having, a trouble, having trouble paying their bills. Sometimes it simply means picking somebody up without anybody asking you. Sometimes it just means these small, quiet little things. 
And so when I challenge each of us to be committed to provoking one another to service, I would love it if we all had, you know, something we could sign up and do, and that's great, and we could do that. But that's not everything that we're talking about. Service in the body uh, means encouraging and engaging and working with one another as a family does. In your family, you probably don't sign up. Maybe some of you do sign up to wash the dishes or sign up to be nice to your sister or sign up to be a good parent. Uh, But you do that because that's what it means to be part of a family. We at Celebration have the blessing of being a small congregation. I've had a couple of conversations this week, uh, really funny, where I've told people how big our church is, and they were like shocked (laughs) at how small we are. And I love it. (laughs) I love it that we are this community where we can share with one another and we can be a part of people's lives. And I know so many of you and so many of you know one another. It's a blessing. Embrace that blessing. Be people who serve, even if it doesn't mean (laughs) that I know about it or anybody knows about it. Just serve because that's what it means to be part of a local church. But the last thing, one of the challenges that we approach or that really comes up as we get into this idea of serving in the local church. Our culture, and I'm not just going to blame it on our culture. I think there's a lot of cultures through history have been like this. We are very much a consumer-driven culture. When you go to Meijer, you go to Meijer because you want what they have. You give them the smallest amount that you need to give them. In fact, many of you will use coupons, Aaron Colvin, to give them even less than they deserve for their food, right? (laughs) You give them what they are asking, and then they give you what you are asking for. It's this exchange uh, of money for product, and then you go home, and most of you probably don't sit and think, I wonder how those guys at Meijer are doing right now. I wonder how that checker is that, I, that helped me the other day. I wonder how the guy is that's repairing the self-check machine that I use. I wonder how he's doing, right? We don't really think about that because our, our mindset is consumer-driven when we come to things. We give them something, and then they give us something, and then we go home. When we need more food, we go back to Meyer. We give them money, they give us food, and then we go home. This is how our culture works. And that's great. I'm not dissing consumerism in our culture, right? We love consumerism. But the problem arises when we begin to approach church without actively separating ourselves from that mindset. And I say actively because it has to be active, because naturally, uh, the way that we're going to approach church, church, if we're not thinking about it, is as consumers. That we come to the church We get what the church is giving us. Maybe we'll throw a couple bucks in the offering plate or maybe we'll do the littlest amount to keep, you know, ourselves feeling good and then we go home and we consume and we leave and we consume and we leave. Now, sometimes this is okay. Sometimes we're at a place in our lives where we just need (laughs) to take and we just need to have Uh, this sort of consumer mentality, and that's okay for a time period. But if that becomes the way that you approach church in general, you've got a problem, and the church that you're at also has a problem. Because that is not this. If that were the case, churches in general, but especially Celebration Bible Church, 
would be set up in one of the worst business models ever taught. <laughs> this is like Michael Scott level business model. It's <laughs> an office reference for you guys. Uh, if this was the case, <laughs> there were two people, three to four people, depending on how, how far, much you want to include the part-time people there, in charge of doing everything. <laughs> if that was your business and you assumed that that business would be healthy, you'd be wrong and you'd be bankrupt soon. But that's how we run here, and that's awesome because we are not a business and you are not consumers. This church is not a product in which you come and take and then you leave, but this church is your community. If you consider yourself part of Celebration Bible Church, this church is your community. And as so you are called to take these things seriously, just like we do. The teaching, the worship, the encouragement, and the service. And that doesn't mean just signing up for something. That means being a serving part of this family. So as we think about this stuff, as we work through these thoughts of what it means to be a local church and what it means for you to say, Celebration Bible Church is my church, or whatever church that you're part of, to say, this is my church. What do you mean when you say that? Have you ever thought about that? What do you mean when you say, this is my church? Do you mean you just go there on Sundays? That's awesome. Encourage. Sometimes it's just encouraging to show up. Or can you actually say, this is my church because I am engaged in what's happening here? You guys are engaged with what's happening here. I'm not trying to be, you know, the bully here. I love Celebration Bible Church because we are a community that's engaged. But maybe sometimes it's worth rethinking and reflecting and maybe reshaping priorities. As we talk about what it means to be a part of a church, central to being part of that church is not thinking about it as a product that you're here to consume, but thinking about it as the community that you're called to engage in as we teach, as we worship, as we encourage, as we serve. It's awesome when we can serve outside of these walls. Mitch is going to talk about this next week. It's awesome when we can serve throughout the world. We'll talk about that in October. But today, we simply want to sit on this. The reason that it's so important to serve within this church community is because serving in a church community is what makes it a church community. Serving in a local church is what allows you to say, this is my church. So let's sit back. Let's sit there. Let's wrestle with that. Let that sink in. I'm kind of being a jerk over these last few weeks. I apologize. We'll do something nice and fun in the next, next series. But this is a challenge for us all. This is a challenge for me. How can I continue to engage in this church? Because when I say this is my church, I mean that this is my community. This is my family. This is my body. And as so, I want to be a part of this. Let's pray. God, as we work through the scriptures, we are constantly reminded of your love and your grace and your mercy. As we think about what it means to be 
a local church, we're reminded that part of that means to be people who are constantly engaging with that love and that forgiveness and that mercy. God, sometimes we just have been beat up so much that we just need to sit and we need to take. And we thank you that sometimes the church can be that cooling balm or that water that just rinses over us when we just need a drink. But God, we also want to be people who are actively engaging. We don't want to be consumers. We want to be a part of this community because that's what you've called us to be. So help us as a church to take that serious. Help us as individuals to take that serious. Help us as families to model that to our children and to our siblings and to our parents. Help us to always uh, be looking for ways that we can be a part of what you're doing. Sometimes that's within these walls. Sometimes that's without of these walls. Uh, But we thank you uh, for the gift of the local church. And we thank you for the gift that we have to be a part of what you're doing by being here and being a part of this place. In your name, we pray these things. Amen.